to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to be taking a look at a sustainable future, something that affects everybody on the planet. My guest is an expert in this area. Dr. Rafi Kaplinsky is Honorary Professor at the Science Policy Research Unit at the University of Sussex. And he is also an Emeritus Professor at the Institute of Development Studies at the Open University. His most recent book is titled, Sustainable Futures, An Agenda for Action. Dr. Rafi Kaplinsky, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you, Bill. Good to, good to meet you. And uh, it's sunny in England, which is not always the case. Very good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Lovely country, beautiful country, but you don't see the sun quite as often as the people might like. But again, welcome to today's program. Let's just jump right into it. This is an important topic, sustainable futures. We're hearing so much about unsustainable activities that are underway. Why did you decide to write the book at this point in time? I came back from holiday in 2018. The world was in a pretty gloomy place. Climate change, politics were less than uh, I'd hoped for. Uh, living standards in Europe and North America had not yet reached the level of 2007, uh, and everybody was gloomy. And I thought, you know what, let's try and be positive. Instead of sinking into gloom, are there ways in which we can generate alternatives to the mess we're in uh, and move to a more sustainable future? So I wanted to be positive, and the book essentially is laying out an agenda for action to create a more sustainable world. Now, normally when we talk about sustainability, the first, uh, to me anyway, maybe not to everybody, the first word that comes to mind is the environment. But really, we're talking more about the environment, the economic entity, and social factors. Are we not, is it not a tripod, three, three legs to a stool, so to speak? So, yes. Uh, what's, what's distinctive about my approach in the book, I think, is to focus on these three dimensions of sustainability, the environment, society, and the economy. Because I think as we will unfold as we go along, they're all interconnected. And because they're interconnected, it means that a partial solution to any one of these three dimensions, to the environmental crisis, to the economic crisis, or to the social crisis, a partial solution is not going to be effective in a world where we have systemic problems. Well, let's talk about the, we'll, we'll take them as we go. Let's talk about the environment and see what are, what are some of the major aspects of the environment that we need to consider and hopefully implement to promote a sustainable future. Well, the environmental sustainability issue isn't, isn't something which requires much explanation. It, it faces us on an everyday basis. We know about not just climate change, but climate variability, volatility, which is in many senses more damaging than climate change because you can't plan for the future. We know about the loss of biodiversity. And so the story of environmental sustainability is something which I'm sure everybody who is listening to this program will be absolutely aware of. I think the issue of what is social sustainability and what is economic sustainability may, with your permission, uh, be worth just opening up a little bit. Would that make sense? Yes, most assuredly. Please do. Okay, let's go to the economy first. Uh, living standards by 2017 had not reached the level of 2008. 
In fact, if we go back a bit, and my book is essentially a historical study, if we go back beginning with the Second World War, between the Second World War and about 1975 was a period which historians refer to as the Golden Age. There's never been a period in history ever where economic growth has been so rapid for so many people, and it wasn't just in America and Europe, it was in the developing countries as well. After the mid-1970s, there's a clear declining trend of economic growth. Uh, and in many respects, the growth machine petered, uh, petered out by the turn of the century uh, and then transformed, not transformed, it, it expressed itself in the financial crisis of 2008. We stuck some sticking plaster on that, but you know what? That's not going to fix the problem. And we're on the edge at any day, any month, any year of another global economic crisis, much more substantial, I think, than the crisis of 2008, which was as big a crisis as one we had since the 1920s. So economic sustainability is something which is, uh, we fool ourselves that we're gonna continue growing. The truth is it ain't going to happen. I was gonna just sort of talk briefly about social sustainability. What well, do we mean about before that? Before we leave the economy, uh, let me ask you a question, please. I, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the financial disaster of 2008. As I recall, that was one that was inspired in the United States. It was a housing bust, basically. We had lending institutions were bundling bad loans. And of course, there were other things. There was a bubble in the housing market. But what do you see over the horizon? It seems like we go through this about every 15, 20, 30 years, we have a major financial disaster. What, what do you see as perhaps warning signs that tell us we need to really change the way we're doing business or maybe have more controls or whatever the case might be. Do you, do you think Bitcoin might cause this or are there other factors out there? We live in a world of gambling and of speculation. The fun, and we'll talk about it perhaps later on. Instead of the financial community directing resources to transforming the productive base of our society, and giving us a more viable and more environmentally friendly economy, the financial community is engaged in this massive speculation. And for me, Bitcoins is the ultimate expression in it. Leave aside the fact that Bitcoins use more energy than Belgium uh, with disastrous impacts on the environment. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's just waiting to fall over. And with all Ponzi schemes, you don't know what it is that's going to tip us over the edge might be a loss of confidence because of a, 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 some sort of uh, armed conflict in the Gulf or something happening with China, or it's a black swan event. We don't know what it is, but it's unstable and, and unsustainable. You are not by yourself. There are many people who have called it, many experts have called it a Ponzi scheme. Well, let, okay, now why don't we move into the social factor? and see how that plays into the sustainability issue. Okay, and of course, beyond that, there's the question of the interaction between the social, the economic, and the political. But let's talk about the social sustainability. We have massive growth in inequality, both of wealth and income. But here's the interesting story. Uh, a study was done uh, of the things which we all consider important, life expectancy, infant mortality, depression, suicide. And the question asked was, 
is it true that the higher the standard of living in a country, the better these indicators are? And when they looked at the 28 most rich countries and asked the question, is there any link between these indicators and the standard of living, the answer was no. The clearest link was with the degree of inequality. So the more unequal our societies become, the more unhappy we become. Just build an example. The degree of air rage is greater the more classes there are on an aeroplane. And when passengers enter the aeroplane, economy class passengers enter the aeroplane, going from first to business to economy, the degree of air rage goes up. And it's not just economy class air rage against business class, it's business class rage against the economy class as well. So unequal societies just don't work. They don't give us lower suicide. They don't give us higher life expectancy. They don't give us all the things we want. What they do give us are political systems such as populism, and we won't talk about individual leaders, but we know in different countries we have political regimes which favor and reinforce inequality, but in fact undermine the basis for economic growth. Look at your own country, America, the reduction in spending on infrastructure. Why? Because we have lower taxes. Why do we have lower taxes? Because the political regime and the taxation regime is run by the rich, the plutocracy. So economic inequality gives you social disruption. Social disruption gives you a reduced capacity to grow. So we have this interaction between economic and social sustainability. And then of course, there's the overlay of environmental sustainability as well. And so let's just finish. My central argument is that these three areas of sustainability are all going in the wrong direction in tandem and they interact with each other and reinforce each other. We need a change in system, not to change in any one of these dimensions. This has been one of the, well, really a criticism or a concern by many groups that have looked, for example, we'll just take the US Congress, for example, the fact that so many of these laws give super breaks to these corporations that are rich be, uh, just beyond belief. And you have corporations, we have 20, 30 or 40 of the richest corporations in this country that don't pay a dime in taxes. And so it is, it's a very inequitable system. And it's one that you, it just cannot sustain itself because eventually this inequality is going to really corrupt the system if it hasn't already. But that's a very, very important point. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or you just have a podcast, or you're with an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a computer, you like our shows and you want to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're talking with an expert on this topic of sustainability. 
Dr. Rafi Kaplinsky is honorary professor of the Sciences Policy Research Unit at the University of Sussex. His most recent book is titled Sustainable Futures and Agenda for Action. Dr. Kaplinsky, we've uh, income inequality, we could spend hours on that, I'm sure. Right. What, what would you recommend though how, to the policymakers in the United States and around the world? We see income inequality that's raging in some countries, especially the United States, some South American countries and many others. We see this populism in many cases, it's a pseudo populism, it's, it's full populism. What, what are specific recommendations to help overcome those two particular characteristics in our society. Well, thanks for mentioning my book, uh, which has just been published. It has two, I believe, novel approaches uh, to your challenge. The first one we've already discussed is that economic, social, and environmental sustainability, while all degrading at the same time, are interconnected. The second one, and it then leads us to the question what we should do about it, is we need to have a sense of history. And here we can learn from economic historians who've looked back at the period since the origin of the Industrial Revolution in the early 18th century. They tell us that there've been five periods, we call them long waves, when you have a particular way of being, of producing, driven by particular technologies, which are new, they transform the society, they give you growth, they give you a sustainable society, sustainable politics, they benign on the environment, but after a while they begin to degrade. And it's in that process of degradation that you get the collapse of social, economic and environmental sustainability. And so the argument is that the crisis we find ourselves in now is a crisis which comes from the expiry of one of these five waves, we call it mass production. And we're in the transition to, sorry, the expiry of the last wave into the fourth wave mass production. And we're in the transition now to the new wave. And that's a wave driven by what I call heartland technology of information and communication technologies. And we have to manage that transition from the old wave to the new wave and of course the new wave is replete with dangers as well. How do we give direction to the new wave to ensure that it builds sustainability rather than further reinforcing instability? That is absolutely critical. Do we have the players and the policies or potential policies in place today to deal with this, to manage it, uh, to make sure that it's done equitably and in a manner that's not going to create some kind of a destructive system that will collapse on us or cause financial pain and suffering or that type of thing. Okay, before we go to who, let's talk about the what. And because my story is essentially a story about a wave and a system, we have to think of a set of responses which reflect that systemic character. So five sets of responses. Firstly, we have to reorient the financial system away from a casino world to a world where the financial system reinforces innovation in environmentally sustainable uh, uh, technologies and allows for the real economy to grow rather than for the national, eco national economy to dominate. Step number one. Step number two, we've got to curb the power of the plutocracy. 
Here's the, where's the logic in the following? We don't want to give welfare to poor because if we give them more money, it will reduce the incentive to work. But hey, we don't want to increase taxes on the rich because if we increase taxes on the rich, it will reduce the incentive to work. So this mad world where tax cuts are good, but welfare payments are bad, we have to change that whole discourse and we have to attack the power of the plutocracy who define what is considered to be normal and good. Taxes are bad, welfare payments are bad. And of course, that's something which is created in the public domain. Third agenda, third part agenda, we need a green new deal. And it needs to be a green new deal, taking advantage of this massive potential of information and communication technologies. Four, we have to move government from the national level to the local level. Municipalism, local action, local government are critical in building a more sustainable society. Of course, we also need international government to stop tax evasion and to handle the environment, but the predominant locus of government at the center of the country needs to shift to the regions. And then finally, the fifth of the genders is global development. It's critical for our interests that developing countries transform successfully. We will have less migration, we will have less carbon dioxide, we'll have less war. Those are the systemic steps which give us a more sustainable world. And this is something we should all strive to achieve. The United Nations the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has done at least five, or I guess now six major studies on dealing with this climate crisis. The time frame, the window of opportunity, according to the IPCC scientists, is closing very quickly. Do you see that we have five to 10 years to turn our environmental crisis into working in our favor? Or how do you view that? Are you optimistic, pessimistic? What, what do you think possibly might happen and what should happen? Am I optimistic about the potential or am I optimistic about the reality? Uh, let's do both. <laughs> let's do both. I think the potential is substantial. And we do see we do see important changes. The speed with which renewable energy is undermining the logic of fossil fuels is really quite dramatic. And across a range of areas, we're developing technology uh, which give us the capacity to make a big difference. The one which I'm interested in, for example, is precision farming. Applying information communication technologies to farming will save 95% of fertilizer and 90% of pesticide. But here, if I may criticize Bill Gates's book, you know, Bill Gates has got that story, but he thinks we can get there merely by making the technologies available. If only we invent the technologies, all will be well. What we've got to do, and here's the systemic story, we've got to develop a social milieu, a pattern of cooperation in our society, which means that these technologies can be used in such a way that they're effective rather than sitting on the shelf or rather than just meeting the interests of the rich. And developing technologies is a wonderful idea. The problem is now, another problem, is that we don't have much time to deal with these problems at the rate we're going. And so they're going to have to come up very, very quickly. Well, in the last few minutes we have, 
what are some of the closing recommendations you would make to help us better understand these problems and to deal with them? We have three sets of actors which can make a difference. The corporate sector, governments, and civil society putting pressure on governments in the corporate sector. Governments are critical. We have to give, the, the buzzword at the moment is, directionality to the new wave. And governments play an important role. If everybody only does their own little bit on climate change, we will only achieve a little bit. So the first thing is for governments to get going. The second is for the corporate sector to respond to the incentives from government. And then you, me, and everybody listening as citizens have to put pressure on the system to make sure that everybody plays their part. We don't waste the years in front of us. Do you see any countries around the world right now where this, these factors are coming together to promote these changes? Are there some, I, I know we can look at Denmark and Costa Rica as far as countries that are becoming 100% non-fossil fuel users, but do you see other countries that are actually trying to change this, trying to overcome any income inequality? Can I give you the non-obvious answer first? You remember I mentioned about governance going local rather than national. I live in a beautiful town in England. It's a hill town. Uh, it's, it's very local. We have a 17-acre site on the river which needed redevelopment. We had an outside developer come in wanting to build 600 units in a population of 17,000, which would have encouraged what we call DFLs down from London. People would have moved from London commuted up to London, we would have reinforced the trajectory of the past, which is to separate production from living. This has now been taken over by a wonderfully impressive local group with strong affiliations to Greenpeace. And they are transforming the town by involving the community, by building affordable housing, by building housing which also will allow production so that people can live and work in the same place. It won't be a housing development for cars. It will be for electric scooters, for renewable technology. It will be the paradigm of what future living should be. And here's an example. If communities take things into their own hands, we can't solve the problem in totality. It needs government, of course, critically. But there's a lot which we can do at the local level, and it's happening. We have to grasp these opportunities and run with them. But as you've suggested, run pretty damn fast. We'd better put on our track shoes. <laughs> Time is slipping away. That's very, very true. Well, these are all important issues and you've covered them very nicely in your book and encourage folks to take a look at Sustainable Futures, an Agenda for Action. And again, we see there's movement in, I guess, almost every country in the, and maybe in the right direction, but the, the speed is not as fast as it should be. And we really need to pick up our momentum and move forward on these problems because they're going to overwhelm us. And they're, in many cases, we are being overwhelmed right now, especially as we look at the climatic changes that are taking place with wildfires, uh, with hurricanes, tornadoes, just a variety of other natural factors that are much worse. They're more intense, they're more frequent than they have been in the past. And of course, we've got to actually focus on these or we will be overwhelmed. But Dr. Rafi Kaplinsky, you've 
I greatly appreciate you being with me today and sharing the wonderful information in your book. And I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television. Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives.